Hey, 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 welcome to Both Laugh, the Dying Scene Quarantine Chat Show. I'm your host, as always, Jay Stone, and we are up to episode 51. Uh, it still boggles my mind that uh, we've made it this far. Uh, thank you to anyone who has listened to one episode or 51 episodes or uh, all points in between. Uh, thanks for caring. Hopefully you uh, follow along, uh, subscribe to us on whatever platform you might listen to us on, whether it's YouTube or iTunes or Amazon or Google Play or whatever. Uh, we appreciate it either way. Um, and there is big news coming on the dying scene front. If you're listening right now, the site is, uh, let's just say it's officially being rebuilt. We're going to have a bunch of cool things coming at you. Let's say maybe springtime. Stay tuned because uh, I think you're really, really going to like it. I hope you're really, really going to like it. Uh, we're, we're trying to do something really cool. Uh, but let's begin with uh, the program. So we are joined this time by Sarah Shook. Um, Sarah is a is a wonderful force, uh, and I think that that's probably the best word to use as a describer. Um, they have been uh, really a champion of um, social causes and civil rights causes and LGBTQIA causes and equality in the and and inclusion in the country scene, especially, uh, they've got a really compelling backstory. Um, they've, they've certainly played hundreds of shows over the last handful of years. Uh, and, uh, and they've got a really cool band and they've got a really cool, uh, album coming out, uh, next month, February, something or other, I'll put links down below in the descriptions. Uh, it's a great album. It's their first on 30 tigers. The album's called Night Roamer. So in this conversation, we talk an awful lot about that. It was recorded um, right at the beginning, um, right before the beginning of the pandemic. So really uh, what you hear is the lead up to uh, what it turned out to be the world uh, closing up and changing uh, irreparably for a couple of years. Um, it, it, it's a really interesting listen. And if you've been a Sarah Shook and the Disarmers fan for years, uh, there are definitely some things and sounds that you will recognize. And there are definitely some things that are going to open up an awful lot of new territory, um, both lyrically and musically. It's a great listen. I've been listening to it a lot lately. I've been singing along to it in my head a lot lately. Uh, it's a great listen. Check it out. Um, and without further ado, here comes the intro music and then our chat with Sarah. Hey, everybody. It is uh, episode 51 of the show that we call Both Laugh, the Dying Scene Quarantine Chat Show. Uh, I know that I always say that I'm excited for this episode. It's kind of my thing, but I think that's because I get to uh, seek out and chat with people that I think are inspiring and have interesting stories to tell. Um, and I think that that's especially true of our guest on this episode. We are joined by the one and only Sarah Shook. 
uh, along with their band, The Disarmers, they've been one of the more uh, hardworking and unique voices in, I guess, what we would call the outlaw country scene, for lack of a better phrase. Um, they've been a vocal champion of civil, civil and LGBTQIA rights for a number of years, and they've got a brand new album, Night Roamer, that is out on 30 Tigers next month. Uh, and let me tell you, guys, it's really good. Uh, and we'll talk about that in depth. Uh, Sarah Shook, welcome to the show. Thanks for doing this. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, because this show started sort of in the early days of the pandemic, A, because the website crashed, as I was just telling you off air, and uh, and because, you know, we wanted to have a way to connect with artists, with musicians, with people, A, that had their plans sort of uh, and their livelihoods uprooted, and to find out what people were doing to sort of stay creative and um things like that. So I'd like to kick off these chats by talking about the early days of the pandemic. And if I have my timeline right, I know it's been, we're in the pandemic year number three now. So the fact that we're even still doing this show is wild. But uh, if I have my timeline right, your perspective is a little unique because you ended up finishing the record that we now know as Night Roamer, which is out next month, uh, just as the world was sort of closing up. Is that right? That's correct. We were in Los Angeles the end of February through, I think, March 5th or 6th, we flew home from recording. Um, and, and within a couple of weeks, the entire state of California shut down. Um, the, the, the timing was just, it, it was incredible. Uh, I remember being in the studio and uh, Eric was working on a guitar part or something. They weren't like, we weren't record actively recording, but we were like kind of fiddling around with something. And um, I, I glanced at my phone and I remarked to Tony Rambo, the, the uh, audio engineer, I was just like, dude, there's, there's uh, this virus that they're saying is extremely transmissible. And if, it's, if it is as transmissible as they say it is, they're gonna have to cancel South by Southwest. <laughs> like that was as far <laughs> as my brain went, you know, right. like, Right. There, there was no way that I could have possibly known what has ensued in the last three years. But, you know, that that was like my concern at the time. I was like, dude, they're going to have to cancel South by. Yeah, um, I, I feel like that was one of the first things that sort of or one of the first big things that really got canceled. Right. It, again, it's yes. my memory is all foggy at this point. But uh, yeah, that's that feels like it was that. And I remember like. I think Pearl Jam canceled a bunch of shows and for a band like that to cancel and they were playing like Fenway Park or whatever, like really big places. And I remember, yeah. going, oh, that seems like a really big deal. And I didn't, you know, we don't cancel shows because of the flu and whatnot. So we had no idea. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Um, yeah. Also, at the time, you know, we were going through a lot of turmoil with the well, we weren't our our label was going through a lot of turmoil. Um, so there was all of this question of, of like, what the heck is, you know, what's the deal? Where are we putting this out? How are we putting this out? And then it, and then it, it just it became like a non issue because there's, you know, I think if you're a huge if you're, you know, Pearl Jam big or whatever, like you don't necessarily need to tour to support your records. People are right. just going to buy your fucking records. Right. Um, but, but like we're small potatoes. So, so like at the tier that we're at, we have to tour to support an album release. And once it became clear that it was going to be totally impossible indefinitely to tour, then it was just like, okay, well, 
I don't know what I'm doing, but I know what I'm not doing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When, when <laughs> yeah. do you feel like you sort of came to the realization that you weren't going to be touring for, for the foreseeable future? Cause I know, I mean, for a while there, it seemed like, well, okay, it's March now, but maybe by April things will open up. And then it was like, maybe by June things will open up. And then it was like, maybe by September. So like, at what point did yep. you realize, especially that first year that like, this isn't happening for like, why bother picking a date? Because it's just going to be pushed back. Yep. Um, I am not totally sure what month it was. It might've been around the end of April, Mm. but as soon as my son's school was like, yeah, North Carolina is closing schools. I was like, dude, this is, (laughs) yeah. And my partner who, um, works in like construction and remodeling and such, um, you know, his work was just like, yeah, everybody stay home. We, we have no idea when we'll have you working again we don't we don't know nobody knows anything good luck (laughs) even construction jobs well i i don't really like i kind of not involved in that world so it doesn't don't didn't dawn on me that that would be taking place like even the construction world sort of shutting down (laughs) yeah and and when they started segueing back into work um and I'm, i'm sure not all businesses were like this but my partner certainly advocated for himself and was just like I need to work by myself. Um, and if I'm working with other people, it needs to be outside. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm sure there were all kinds of construction folks that never skipped a beat. You know, it just depends on where you are and, and uh, who you're working for. What would 2020 have looked like um, if the world hadn't shut down, if the, if the plague hadn't sort of uh, intervened, but what did you have on the radar that you had to had to put on the shelf indefinitely um i mean we had a whole europe and scandinavia tour we had all kinds of national touring um there was all kinds of stuff that we had to put off i remember the very last show we played um so we flew home i think it was the first week of march 2020 flew home from the studio had a little bit of downtime and then we had a tour that was supposed to start. And that tour was like started in South Carolina and then was supposed to go down to Texas for South by, which was canceled. So the last show that we played was, I think it was March 13th or 14th in Greenville, South Carolina. And it was with the Yoppers um, who were also on bloodshot records. And I remember just, we were playing the radio room in Greenville and the whole vibe was so weird it was just like it was it was a packed show there was like electricity in the air everybody was really excited to be there but nobody wanted to stand close to anybody yeah yeah, right right it was just bizarre man um and I I knew like playing that show I was just like this is this is gonna be it for a while and and uh you know I was thinking a couple months like to me at that time a while was like yeah probably we'll be out of commission for a couple months yeah, because it, it, it seems like that's when people were sort of, I think the last show that I had tickets for up here, I live in the Boston area. And so we were kind of one of the first places to really shut down because we got slammed hard right at the beginning, like us in Seattle. Um, yeah. And we, I, I know that I had tickets to a show on March 12th that got postponed. It, it got called off day of show because things just kind of seemed too sketchy. But that show got yeah. put off until September. And then it's it's actually taking place this march at the same place it's the same show same place so it'll act it'll effectively be two full years uh before wow. that show is actually taking place it's bizarre yeah <laughs> yeah 
that's wild dude um let's we actually had nate from the yoppers on this show uh back just before he started uh riding his bike across america which is still a thing that i can't wrap my head around (laughs) yeah same same here that was uh quite the undertaking yeah i he's a he's a crazy person (laughs) which i mean in the best possible (laughs) way i I say that as somebody who has tried to be an amateur cyclist over the years and it's i can't wrap my head around people that go across the country by themselves like that um yeah during a pandemic yeah exactly (laughs) sure hey why not (laughs) uh you know we we were all looking for stuff to do and this is sort of what i said to him like we were all looking for stuff to do and ways to stay active and a lot of us sort of jettisoned those plans come like april uh and he you know he became across the country cyclist that's it's pretty impressive it's inspiring really absolutely yeah um, let's talk about Night Roamer because like I said, it's uh it's a wonderful album. It is my uh not just my favorite Sarah Shook and the Disarmers album, but it's it's my one of my favorite albums to come out in recent memory. Um I've been listening to it an awful lot. Um as you you must be it it must be a pretty positive thing now that it's like 22 or whatever, 23 months later, to finally have it getting uh heard by people and finally able to release it into the world does it seem weirder than like all your previous music when it finally came out oh for sure yeah i i mean there was a very logical reasonable timeline of events with sidelong and years and with this um i was just talking to my partner the other day and like i said out loud for the first time like yeah because it's been two years since we recorded the album and then I just stopped and I was like, oh <laughs> my God. Right. It's been two years since we recorded this album. Like, right. I just cannot, I, I can't quantify that in my head. I cannot make that make sense in my head. Um, so it's very odd because it's like, I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, I'm like, oh yeah, I need to start practicing these songs for the album release because I haven't played them in two years. Right. Um, so it's, it's a whole thing. I'm, I'm happy and grateful to be at a place where no, the world is not completely back to normal yet. And it probably won't be for a while, but we are in a place where like, we can finally put this thing out into the world. And um, I feel like it's going to make a lot of people really happy. And that makes me happy. I think it is too. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, I know obviously, I mean, obviously anybody trying to release an album over the last couple of years, uh, the last year especially has been met with, you know, supply chain issues and vinyl delays and da 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 And you obviously had the added re- um, layer of sort of, like you said, the whole Bloodshot Records situation, which has been hashed out in other places. So we don't have to go down that road. But um, how did that experience of kind of what ended up happening with Bloodshot Records and people can Google it if they want to, but how did that um, influence sort of your approach in, a addressing a label at all and B ending up with uh, the folks at 30 tigers who seem like they have a pretty good gig going there. Yeah. 30 tigers has such a solid damn reputation. Um, And I mean, honestly, I wasn't really part of those conversations. Our, our manager was the one that was contacting labels and putting out feelers and having those sorts of conversations. Um, So the extent of my involvement was, Kathy being like, hey, what about 30 Tigers? Me being like, hell yeah. And yeah, then yeah. she's like, okay, well, actually, they're interested. And I was like, cool. Um, 
So yeah, we are very, very grateful to have landed with them. Um, they, when we, when we first, uh, when we first started talking to Bloodshot, actually, um, I remember Rob Miller being like, yeah, you know, we're like, a, we're a really small label. We're like a family. And I was like, that's what every label says. Like <laughs> exactly every label right. says we're like a family, you know? And so like, I had my, my, uh, my doubts about that. And then and, you know, it is a tiny ass label and it very much was like a family, um, you know, it, it had, with the exception of a certain owner that is not Rob Miller, um, <laughs> it had such a spirit of family and uh, community and cooperation and, and genuine care. Yeah. I, I have not, you know, I never thought that I would encounter people working in the music industry that genuinely care about the artists that they're working for and that they represent. And these people were fantastic. Um, and I'm really grateful we're, we're working with two of them now. Mike Smith um, is now at 30 Tigers and Josh Sanger is at All Eyes Media, which is our publicity group. So we're, we're still in good hands. It's like we, we've managed to keep two of them, you know? Yeah, I have to give a shout out to Josh. Josh has been, you know, from, from this side of the aisle as somebody that's been, I hate to even use the term press because that's wildly overstating what uh, a sort of punk rock website like us does. But, but, jo but Josh has always been amazing to, to work with. Uh, and from his time at Bloodshot, and I didn't know that he had moved to All Eyes Media, which, although I have worked quite a bit with All Eyes Media and other, for, with other artists over the years. And so to get an email from Josh at All Eyes Media, it took me a second. I went, wait a minute, that's Josh from Bloodshot. Oh, holy shit, this is cool. Because <laughs> yep. they were, yep. like you said, they, they always said that they were sort of like a family. But from my perspective, they seemed that way too. And they were always yeah. wonderful to work with. And I actually just... Got to hang out with another former Bloodshot artist, Corey Brandon, last night. And uh, I always had a lot of love for a lot of people at that label. Like you said, aforementioned yeah. unnamed people aside. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Josh is a gem, man. Shout out to Josh and shout out to 30 Tigers because really they've been great to work with. Uh, it, it seems it's nice to work, like you said, sort of with, with people that get it. And I know I'm very much removed from the inner workings of labels and all that stuff, but it's always seemed like the 30 Tigers folks uh, have a good thing going. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The uh, I think it was April or May of, was it this year? Oh my God, I have no idea. At some point we were in Nashville um, auditioning drummers. And uh, while we were there, uh, our manager set up a meeting with David Macias from 30 Tigers. And um, we were just, uh, me and Eric and Aaron, we're just gonna go out and, uh, and have lunch with them and kind of meet each other and get a feel for, um, you know, each other's vibe or whatnot. And I just remember him being like, he had his phone out and they were, they had just uh, decided to start working with this artist from South America. And David was so excited about this artist that he kept like playing little snippets of songs and he'd be like, oh, oh, listen to this one. L listen to this one. And I was like, this is the kind of person that you want to work with in the Absolutely. music industry because they, they have genuine care and genuine excitement about the people that they're working with. And it, it was just so it was, you know, it, it meant so much more to me that he was showing us snippets on his phone of an artist he's excited about. That yeah, meant so yeah. much more to me 
than, you know, someone stiffly sitting across the desk from you being like, we promise to work very hard for you. Yeah, right, you know what right. I mean? How much sort of leeway did they give you uh, in terms of um, playing with the style on your record? Because one of the things that I want to talk about, obviously, is that for uh, obviously most people haven't heard Night Roamer yet. And I think that there are obviously some sounds that people will be pretty familiar with as Sarah Shook and the Disarmer sounds. But they're uh, one of the things that I think um, I really like about the album is that it seems like you kind of went for it and you you uh, pushed some. I don't want to say boundaries because I don't know. I feel like that's weird when we're talking about music, but you sort of pushed pushed some different areas and opened things up stylistically. And how much how how involved was Thirty Tigers in saying, "Hey, that's cool," or "No, don't do that." Make a Sarah Shook and the Disarmers record. Um. Well, right off the bat, I can say that we wouldn't sign with any label that doesn't give us complete creative control. Mm. Um. That's that is not an option. We we are not. Um, I mean, we're not like hostile to criticism, but right. we know what we're doing and we have put a lot of hours into becoming good at what we do. Right. Um, so as far as the, ex like the expansion of genres, um, I would, it, it's interesting. There's a, there are actually two songs on the record that were not supposed to be on the record. Basically, I write all the songs. Um, I bring songs to the band. We literally just sit there and run through them a couple times so that people can get used to like what the arrangement is, what the chord progression is. Um, and then once we're all kind of familiar enough with it, um, collaboratively, we decide on like, do we want this for an intro? Do we want a long outro? Do we want this to like fade on the recording? uh where do we want the solos like over what chords do we want the solos all of that type stuff is um there's a loose arrangement when i bring it to the band and by the time the band is done with it it's like a whole last song um so at the we had been rehearsing to record night roamer for a couple months it was at the very end it was literally the last rehearsal we had before we flew to la to make the record and at the very end of the last rehearsal, uh, the guys were just like, well, you know, I think it's good. We're feeling good about it. Uh, do you have anything else that we could just kind of run through for fun to blow off some steam? Because we've been working really hard. And I was like, yeah, I got a couple songs we could run through. And I had two um, that I had absolutely no intention of even ever playing with the band. Um, but I was just like, yeah, fuck it. We'll, we'll, we can do that. And um one of them was I got this and one of them was been loving you too long um, or been loving you. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So, the, and so we ran through them a couple times and they were just like, these are great. Like you should be on the record. And I was like, okay. I mean, I agree. They sound good. Right. <laughs> it's a right. little, it's a little bit of a departure, um, but I'm, I'm down. Let's, let's do it. Um, that is one of the things that I love so much about this band and this group of people is there is no like, there is no conversation about, well, what is the direction that we want to take this album in? Like, there's no concept, there's no discussion or decision being made about like, do we want to have a pop song on the album? Basically it is about making every single song the best it can possibly sound and that is up to all of us as individuals and our individual instruments 
And then when we come together, it's like there is this magic that happens. Um, and, you know, there are there are some songs that, um, you know, I, when I'm writing them and it's just me and, and a guitar, I might think, oh, this this is probably going to be pretty country. And then I kind of play with it a little bit and I'm like, well, maybe it could be a little punk. And then by the time it gets to the band, it's just like a all out thrasher, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it's kind of it's kind of magical. Um, the first rehearsal that we had for Night Roamer, um, there were two songs that we worked on. I cannot remember what one of them is, but the other one was If It's Poison, which is my mm -hmm. favorite song on the record. And we rehearsed it. We had a really good rehearsal. And I got home. I drove, like, I loaded my gear in my car and I drove home and I sat in the driveway when I got home and just like cried for like five minutes. <laughs> and it was just, it was so humbling and profound to take this song that's like I have no idea how huge and incredible it's going to sound and then I bring it to the band and these dudes are just like yep we know what to do with it and then we all play together and it becomes this living thing and um yeah I, I definitely indulged I let myself have a good brief little cry there and I, <laughs> I texted I texted my bandmates some mushy thing just like I love you guys so much thanks for thanks for making my songs amazing right you know um which which is good <laughs> which is good I think it's I think it's healthy <laughs> it's so I'm while you were talking well while, while you first said that there are two songs that you didn't you weren't initially going to put on Night Roamer I if if I had my camera on, you would have seen this. I have a Sharpie next to me and I starred two, two songs that I assumed that it was. And of course it was, I got this and been loving you. So a, I'm yep. glad I, I'm glad I got that right. <laughs> it makes me feel a little, a little valid. Uh, but then I said, if there's a number three, it's, if it's poison, because there's a little bit of a, like a different vibe. It's almost like a, like a fifties, like I could picture it like a fifties country and Western dance. And there's like a disco ball going like, and it's a yeah. little bit of a different vibe to that song, but I was glad I got the first two right. Uh, but those, yep. what would those have been used for? I know you've got um, a, a solo, solo project under a different name, and we can talk about that going forward. Was, was that sort of the where that stuff was planning on living, or was it just stuff that you wrote and didn't really have a home for? Yeah, both of those songs I was planning on putting on the solo project. Um, well, I mean, at the time that I wrote that, I had no idea that I was going to even do anything with my solo project. Uh, I have, you know, I had any number at any point in time, a certain little pile of songs that were like, well, these aren't really Disarmor songs. I really like them. I want to do something with them. But like, when am I going to have time? I'm on, I'm on tour 150 days a year. Right. Um, and when I'm home, I don't want to be doing more work. I want to be spending <laughs> time with my son and my partner. Right. right. Um, so, I mean, honestly, I was planning on adding them to the stack of these aren't really Disarmor songs, but I want to do something with them eventually. Um, and I was recording uh, little demos here and there of the stuff that I was working on. Um, I actually went back into my garage band last week and I was listening to the original demos that I I had for some of these songs and it's just incredible there's they're so different like they're so different than what they ended up being on the record where did I got this come from that is such a different song but I like that song could be massive 
And I'm not like, that's not, that's a really cool song. It's very different. Did that start just you and an acoustic guitar or you and a, and a Gretsch or whatever, or did that come from like messing around on keyboards or something? There's a whole, it's a whole different song. Yeah. Um, no, that started with, um, I think that started with a demo on garage band. Uh, and I had guitar parts for it. I had, um, I had like composed this whole drum part, uh, which was interesting because we got <laughs> when we got in the studio and we were making the record when we were working on this song, I was just like, no, 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 like there's this part and like it has to have this very specific drum fill right before the chorus comes back in. And I was literally like on my phone trying to access my <laughs> computer, trying to get this one tiny little drum thing that I did. Um, and it and it didn't work out. Um, and the you know, the demo is is a completely different animal. Than what's on the record but i i kind of like that i i love that music is so versatile and it can be interpreted in i mean just infinite infinite ways when you're somebody who i mean you've certainly carved out a, a niche or whatever in the scene it can be a bit of a gamble to really take uh stylistic like left-hand turns or or even a left and then another left sometimes, but does that factor into the equation when you're, when you're deciding what goes on the record and what to even bring to the band? Like, Oh, I like this, but maybe it's just too weird or too different or like, or to not alienate fans or whatever. Or do you think they're pretty much along for the ride at this point? I mean, I, I really don't worry about alienating fans. I know you know, from a few years of experience in the industry that you can't make everybody happy and that some people are going to be pissed at you if you do different things. And that's okay. And like those people are totally entitled to their opinion and everybody has different tastes. And I just, I don't, I don't let it get me down because it's like, I know that I'm doing the best work that I can possibly do. And if you don't like that, that's just a matter of a difference in taste. And, and I'm okay with that. I'm right. comfortable with that. Um, I, yeah, it's just like, there are songs that I write that are clearly Disarmor songs. And then there are other songs where I'm like, eh, I'm not really sure. And Night Roamer was certainly the first album that we released that there was a moment where there was room made for the possibility that like maybe something kind of weird and like on the cusp, um, might possibly make it onto the record. This is also really, um, the first record that sort of talks about sobriety. And I say that with the caveat that a, I'm somebody who by day I work, I've worked in the substance abuse treatment field for 20 years and haven't had a drink in years myself, but as someone who sort of wore that, you know, whiskey soaked badge of honor thing for a while, that can be a little bit of a gamble too, when you have um, not just stylistic departures, but, but when a certain theme becomes part of your repertoire for a while, and then you move beyond that, that can, did that feel like a little bit of a gamble too? Um, I mean, I didn't see it as a gamble. I understood that there was definitely the possibility of people um, really not being happy that I had this like persona of being this super hard drinker and partier and whatnot, and then getting sober. Um, but I, I just felt like I, <laughs> I'm going to die if I keep doing <laughs> what I'm doing. <laughs> right. Um, and there is no motivation, like knowing you're going to die. Let me right. tell you what. Right. Um, so I, you, and I'm sure, you know, like, 
<laughs> the joys of social media, man. I, I literally have seen people just be like, yeah, I just, you know, if the music starts sucking, I hope, I hope she starts drinking again. It's just like, man, yeah. like it, you know, people are always going to be like that uh, to a yeah. degree and, and that's okay. Like that's, I'm not threatened by that. And uh, you know, all I can do is genuinely hope that if that person also has the substance abuse issue that they, you know, uh, I can be an example. It's just like, just because you quit drinking doesn't mean that like your life is over and that you're boring. Like on the contrary. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. It makes you much more interesting. And, and truthfully, I think it, it gives you sort of a different perspective on things when you actually say them, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I listen, I like it. Could you see behind me? There's like seven Lucero posters on the wall. And I think there's like, one of them is a skeleton drinking whiskey. So it's like, that's certainly in my, my uh, musical wheelhouse. But at the same time, I think that like, when you, when you take that element out of uh, a person's songwriting, it, I think it can make them more interesting because they don't really have that thing physically or metaphorically that they're sort of holding on to anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the scariest things for me about quitting drinking was not knowing if I was going to be able to ever write a song again, not because I needed the subject matter per se, but because I needed the subject. <laughs> like I, every time I wrote a song as an adult, you know, it was, I, I had had at least one or two whiskeys in me and there was a certain level of uh, like relaxation and not being, not feeling any kind of inhibition that yeah. I felt like I needed to get to that place in order to write a song um, because I'm not a disciplined songwriter. I'm an intuitive songwriter and I don't set down with the intention of sharing a message. Like when I write a song, it comes to me and the words are there and I just have to be alone and in a position where I have a guitar or some instrument that I can use so that I can have come up with a chord progression um, because all of that stuff sort of comes all at the same time. Where, where does the timeline sort of line up in terms of when you got sober and when you were writing songs that, that became on Night Roamer? Was everything sort of written after that? No. Um, and that kind of ties into what I was talking about earlier with just like not planning records. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I, I don't like people are just like, well, what did, what were you doing when you wrote this record? And it's like, I don't write records. Like I write songs, right. no mistakes. I wrote in 2009. Oh, and wow. at the yeah, and at the time that I wrote it, it had um, I think it had like a, a one of the verses was different, and there was something else different about it. But the Disarmers have been playing; we've been playing that song live for years. And when we started talking about the songs that were going to go on the record, that was one that came up because it was kind of a joke at that point. It's like, why have we not recorded this? <laughs> right. Like this, it could have been on side long, it could have been on years, um, but. Yeah, it the timeline of when these songs come from is all over the place. In 2009, oh, okay. in 2009 I was just starting to really have a drinking problem. Yeah. Um so that was, you know, you've got a song from the beginning, there are songs from the middle. Um you know, if it's poison was 20 late 2017. Um so that the, the timeline of the songs is all over the place. I think uh believer and talking to myself 
and I got this might be the only three or, and it doesn't change anything. There are, there's like maybe four or five songs on the record that I wrote as a sober person. Um, and then the other stuff was just kind of all over the place. When you look back, is it, is it um, more difficult to write songs now or has the, or now that you've been sober for a few years, is it just sort of like, you just are a sober songwriter now. Like it's not necessarily as challenging maybe as it was at the beginning. Um, I think the mental hurdle is gone for sure. Like I don't have the anxiety about not being able to do it um, because like not only have I been able to continue writing songs in sobriety and in recovery, but um, I, I feel like my songwriting has massively, massively improved um, and I've been able to explore with like different styles of songwriting that I never really dipped a toe in before. Right. Um, so it, that's been, that's been very encouraging. Um, it's, it's very validating to be like, okay, yeah, like I, you know, I wasn't throwing back whiskey when I was nine years old, when I started writing songs. So right. I, I know I don't need it. Right. <laughs> Um, but you know, human psychology is so interesting and, uh, like we have a way of convincing ourselves that, that we need all kinds of things that are unhealthy for us that we don't need. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It, it's sort of fascinating. I think you you talk about being a nine-year-old when you started writing songs. I think one of the things that's, that's really compelling about your story is as someone who ended up a musician growing up in a house that music was effectively forbidden right uh, or at yeah. least po- at least popular music so the fact that a you figured out that songwriting was a thing and b like fast forward however many decades and then you become a professional songwriter to me that's really really fascinating <laughs> yeah yeah um it it's really interesting i i just had a, a phoner a couple hours ago and i was uh telling this person um the same thing like my my, both of my parents weren't raised in religion. They both had like kind of like uh, salvation experiences. Um, And before my dad had his, he was a guitarist in rock and roll bands. Like he was out playing shows. um, And then he felt like God asked him to like not play guitar anymore. And I remember even just being a little kid and being like, why, why, like, why would God give you a gift and then not want you to use it? Like that doesn't seem like something a good guy would do. Right. 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 (laughs) Um, So there, like I was the trouble kid, man. I, I was the one that was always asking the questions and and being like, yeah, this just doesn't add up. Right. Like, I don't think, I don't think I agree with this. Um, and you know, at this, at this point, my, my parents and I have a really, really solid relationship and, um, they've, they've come a long way. They've been very, very supportive, um, the last few years here. Um, so that, that's been cool. I, I, you know, when I started writing songs and I was like eight or nine and I was teaching myself like what notes sounded good together on a piano. Um, I'm sure that like lyrically the content was religious. I'm sure that it was about Jesus or climbing trees because those were the two things that I was, you know, most informed about. Right. Um, but when I was a teenager, um, my parents let me and my older sister go on this trip with some of these homeschool girls uh, from our homeschool group. 
And uh, it was a five, I think it was a five day trip to Kentucky to like do all the horse things. Um, we basically lived at Keeneland racetrack and um, it was, it was really cool. Like, even if we weren't extremely sheltered, it would have been a really cool experience, but especially as very sheltered homeschooled kids, yeah, it yeah, was right. amazing. <laughs> um, and I remember, um, I w- I'm trying to think of what year it was. I was probably like 14. I'm guessing I was like 14 or 15. And, um, you know, we didn't have TV either. We weren't allowed to watch TV. And now all of a sudden I'm like by myself in a hotel room, like hundreds of miles away from my parents right um and so i was watching or well i wasn't i didn't even know what mtv was um this girl was watching mtv and there was a an interview with fiona apple of course i had no idea who that was at the time um and it wasn't until years and years and years later that i heard her name and i was just like oh my god that was the name of the person that gave this interview she she was talking about um using songwriting as catharsis and as a way of um, sort of processing your emotions and as like sort of a coping mechanism. Um, And I I just remember just being absolutely riveted and her saying, you know, when I feel a very strong emotion, whether it's happiness or sadness or anger, like that is when I write a song is when I'm feeling something. And I just, I was just completely blown away. and that, and that like completely changed songwriting for me because it's like, here's this thing that I was sort of meticulously plotting along, like figuring out how to do it. And then all of a sudden it was like, this is why you do it because yeah, it's right. a coping mechanism. Right. <laughs> yeah. So what, I mean, stylistically, what sort of music would you write as someone who had no real frame of reference as to, you know, popular music or, or, or particular genres or whatever. So it's almost like, like you're this sort of babe in the woods, right. And, and figuring things out on your own, but what sort of style were you even writing? Can you, can you remember back to that those days? Um, Not when I was that little, I do know that um, I, when I started teaching myself guitar, uh, I was 16 and I borrowed a guitar from a friend of mine at church. um, And ultimately she, she like, you know, I had it for six months. And then when I tried to give it back, she was just like, nope, keep it. Yeah, like, I know yeah. you've really been working hard. Um, when I started playing guitar, that is when um, I started writing my first country songs, but I did not have any way of knowing that they were country. Right. Um, so I was 16 or 17 and I did not listen to country music until um, 2000 around 2009 or 2010. Um, fascinating and I, to me. Yeah. And I started dating this guy and he had a, uh, a record collection. And like one of the first times I was hanging out at his house, he put on a Johnny cash album and I was like, what is this? Like, what, <laughs> yeah, what, right. like, what, what do you call this? Like, what kind of music is this? And he's like, well, this is country. And I was like, okay, so yeah, this makes sense. I've been doing this. (laughs) That's wild. You've got like these certain strum patterns that I've been using and this like one, four, five, like, um, yeah. And I mean, my parents did not, like we did not have music in my house growing up except for classical and worship. Um, And like, even like my friends were listening to like DC talk and 
yeah, audio yeah. adrenaline at MXPX. And like, my parents were just like, that is not Christian music. Like, absolutely not. We don't right. want it in the house. Um, that's so funny, it's not it, like, yeah. Because, you know, being in, in the, I was certainly a fan of MXPX, but they were always like the Christian band, you know what I mean? Like in quotes, like, and then, <laughs> yeah. so, so for that, for that, throw that into a Christian family and it's like, no, that's not Christian music. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Like it was always like, oh, well, I like MXPX. They're the Christian ones. Or or sometimes there was a caveat. <laughs> I like MXPX comma, but they're the Christian band, you know? So it was always like yep. they were, they were a little, uh, like, Oh, just kind of over here where everybody else was over there. You know what I'm like? That's interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. I, su- I suppose it, it makes sense that you ended up sort of becoming this, having this sort of outlaw country punk rock ethos. Cause you're writing music when you didn't even know what it was, you know, it's, it makes sense. I suppose that you landed here. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way. Um, and it's interesting too, like the way that I was introduced to country music, it took me years after that initial introduction to learn that like pop country is what most people think country is. And then to discover that there's this whole movement of people that are like, we hate pop country, like it's not country, blah, blah, blah. Um, it, I just feel like I'm, I'm constantly like playing catch up. I'm always learning everything backwards. Um, yeah. You know, like. I started, like, I didn't start listening to punk until, like, 2014, 2015. Wow. And again, like, my introduction is not Green Day. My introduction is Sex Pistols and Germs and Adolescence um, and, like, X-Ray Specs. Like, wow. I didn't start out, yeah, like, like all of the old school shit. Right. Um, which I'm grateful for. Like, I, I feel like that has certainly shaped uh it certainly shapes like how what I feel punk music is and what it represents. I, I will have to say that I was sort of definitely the same way when it came to country music. There wasn't, I mean, country music had sort of a bad rep. I grew up in New Hampshire of all places. So it's not like we had a music scene uh, of any sort of um, in any way, shape or form aside from like uh, Aerosmith, I guess is like the only <laughs> New Hampshire band and Ronnie James Dio. Yeah. yeah Ronnie James Dio is for me. <laughs> But um, but we didn't. So we knew what was on the radio and all that was on the radio was stuff that you would call in terms of country music was stuff that you would call pop country today. So I definitely yeah. had this really negative view of country music for a long time. And it really wasn't until getting into punk rock music for a couple of decades and then realizing what some of those guys were listening to other than punk music, because there's this weird sort of gatekeeping thing. And that's actually a thing that I wanted to talk about is country music has its own gatekeeping, but punk rock definitely has its own gatekeeping element too. But I think in country music, it's more from the industry and from the labels. And in punk Mm -hmm. music, it's more from the scene itself, like the actual punks, if you know what I mean? Like, because when I started listening to punk rock music, it was almost like forbidden to listen to anything else if you were hanging out with the punks because then you were a poser if you liked Bruce Springsteen or if you liked Grateful Dead or whatever or you like you weren't allowed to like things that weren't punk so then you just listen to whatever skate punk bands that Fat Records puts out for 15 years or whatever but then you (laughs) but then you sort of get a little older and look at things from a sort of 10,000 foot view and you realize that well really they're all just kind of doing Waylon Jennings and Johnny Cash but like with 
Marshall stacks. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, but that wasn't, so it was really, I was in my thirties or probably 30 when I really started to develop an appreciation for that side of it and not just chalking everything up to as that was labeled country as being pop country, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But you've been, you've been pretty vocal about this whole idea of gatekeeping, particularly in the, in the country community, because like I said, the, the country tends to, the industry itself tends to gatekeep a lot. And you've been a real vocal um, champion really of queer country artists and the black Opry and things like that. And that, that's a real important thing. And I think that that's, that's uh, a thing that makes you real compelling as a, as an artist, as being okay with kind of giving the establishment, the finger, that's sort of the punk rock side, maybe that I appreciate, but that's important to you. Yeah, it is. Uh, I don't feel like, um, the current state of affairs is an accurate representation of the people that are actually out here making country music. Um, and I mean, there's been, there have been all kinds of, of uh, research done and data compiled, uh, like even just like the disparity between uh, men and women in country music and representation just there. Um, and I, I'm not gonna quote numbers because I, I don't remember yeah. <laughs> specifics, but I do know that it's, it's abominably bad. Um, yeah. And you've got all of these record execs being like, well, people don't want to listen to female country artists. And it's just simply not true. And if, if it was true, we'd need to have a separate conversation. Right. But the, the, the fact is like, women country artists are doing great we have fan bases like we are seeing success even without the help of like a huge major label like sony or something right um where do you think that comes from the idea that or that sort of notion that people don't want to listen to female country artists or or country artists of color or whatever where do you think that comes from if it's clearly not based on fact I mean, honest, my honest opinion is that it's a bunch of white artists that are afraid of losing their, their seat at the table. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's, I think it's bullshit. Uh, and, um, the, the thing that's really kind of telling about it is like, why not just open the doors and let the artists make the art and let people decide what they want to listen to. You know what I mean? It's like, right. why this, this doesn't have to be a, a politicized thing. Just let art, just give artists equal representation, let them do their thing. And you will very soon know like who's listening to what. And I can guarantee you, it ain't going to be all straight white guys. Not to politicize things. It, it's something dawned on me as you were saying that that uh, it, it's about a lot of um, older white guys not wanting to lose their seat at the table. I think you're exactly right. And I think that that's also, that sort of mirrors what's going on in the voting rights conversations, particularly in places in the South um, where a lot of country artists tend to live and breathe, but that's exactly what's going on in, in, in voting rights conversations, right? Like the more people that are allowed to vote, the more people that are allowed to the table, the less a certain um, class of individual, middle-aged white guys, frankly, old white guys, 
uh, feel yeah. like they're they're being pushed out. So it it almost mirrors, you know, those two those two paths almost mirror each other. And yeah. it didn't dawn on me until you just said that. Yeah, and and to like take it a step further, I have no problem with straight white guys making country music. I listen to a lot of straight white sure. guys that make country music. But the thing is, like, if you're confident in your art and you're confident in the music that you make, you shouldn't have this scarcity mindset that's like, oh, well, only so many of us can have success in this field. And it's just like, yeah, but you're at the same time, you're like keeping yourselves successful and you're preventing other people from having the opportunity to be successful. Right. Um, so I think that like the, the root cause of all of this is fear. And um, uh, I, I feel like there's fear and uncertainty and um, you know, there are people that, that feel like there isn't enough room at the table for everybody. And so they have to like fight to, to preserve their right to sit there. And I'm just like, it's, it's just not, you know, capitalism fucking sucks sometimes. And, <laughs> right. and, and one of the ways that it sucks is that it does create this, it creates a scarcity mindset. Right. And, um, and whereas we're talking about visibility and radio play, there is plenty of room for everybody. There just fucking is. Right. And, um, and that is a that's a good healthy thing, and I think that we need to start seeing that collectively as as a good healthy thing. Um, it opens the door to healthy competition, right. but it also opens the door to healthy collaboration. Um, and I think those are two things that that we'd really it would really benefit us to keep in mind. Yeah, it it opens the door to a lot of creativity, right? Like there's yep. nothing there's nothing worse than formulaic pop country. I'm sorry, like there's nothing worse. <laughs> yeah then there, there's a guy and i forget his name and i wish i could quote him off the tip of my tongue but i can't but there's a guy who for a few years put out a mashup at the end of the year of like the top 10 pop country songs but he 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 like did them all in pro tools like he stripped everything down to the basic tracks and played them over each other and it is wild it's hilarious but Oof. it's also a little bit sad how like perfectly everything lines up it's 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 wild and truthfully to me there's nothing worse than that yeah. it, which, which is again why i didn't give country music a chance for a long time yeah um i i don't want to take up too much of your afternoon we're closing in on an hour uh and i'd like to be respectful of people's time thank you for doing this i know you've uh it's it's people should listen to night roamer and pre-order it from wherever they can because uh it really is one of my favorite records um that has come out recently, not just by you. Um, when, when does tour kick off? Does it, does it look hopeful that tours officially going to go off in March or whenever it is? Uh, our album release show is February 18th. Um, and then we have a little bit of time before anything else is popping up. Um, the next thing after that is actually uh, the outlaw country cruise, which is a oh, cruise. Right. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, fingers crossed. I, I at this point, I am um, open to any and all touring happening, but I'm not going to be surprised if things get canceled. I think that that's kind of going to be the playing field for a while. Um, some friends, some friends of mine are out on the road right now, and they're like in the smack dab in the middle of a tour, and one of their uh, someone in their touring party who's fully vaccinated just tested positive, so they just had to cancel some shows and kind of 
like, you know, five, five days of quarantine before they can start playing shows again. And they're just kind of drifting. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a weird time. And I, I feel like we're, we're all prepared to roll with the punches. It feels like a giant game of whack-a-mole sometimes. Doesn't it? like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, best of luck on the road. Will I'm trying to pick a date. Cause I, I think New Hampshire looks like it's going to be the best one, even though it's like an hour from here, it's like a Friday night. So hopefully we'll uh, catch up in New Hampshire, as long as everybody continues to successfully navigate uh, Omicron. <laughs> and again, yep. th- thanks for doing this. 